Hello and welcome to the Mental Health Gaming Podcast. Once again, I am Bradley and fresh from his meeting with Activision CEO Bobby Kotick and explaining to him why he doesn't need £200 million and in fact should be invested in bottle caps because the world's going to pants. I didn't swear. It's Stu. How are you doing, Stu? Not too bad. Yeah, no, that extra £200 million I don't need. That would just be overkill because, you know, I'm so rich. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you're worth more than most of the world, you know, when there's only about five or six people worth more than you, then, you know, you don't need it. Yeah. But invest in bottle caps, that's all I'm saying. Right. If you want to be the richest man in about 10 years' time, we know what happens. You need to invest in Nuka-Cola bottle caps, and that's how you get rich. Just saying. Yeah, yeah, that's how I understand it as well. Mm. And that's my tenuous video game link. So what you've been playing, Stu? Well, tenuous is better than none at all, isn't it? So yeah, fair play. <laughs> but um, I've been playing an absolute ton this week, actually. Uh, it... <laughs> unusually but very pleasantly so let's start off by talking going back to dirt five if we don't like completely alienate the audience because we talked about it for 40 minutes last week um so just realize that there's two really important things i didn't mention um the first is one of the downsides is it doesn't have a rear view mirror i can't remember the last time a, a game a racing game came out that didn't have a rear view mirror so you can't see behind yourself unless you press a specific button, which just seems like insanity to me. What, the in-car view doesn't have a rear view mirror? No, the exterior view. Because you're playing it wrong. <laughs> yeah, I should be playing it the way they're forcing me to yeah. play it. Yeah, yeah no, I'm going def- to defend them. You're playing it wrong. You should play <laughs> Rally Games at internal. I'm sorry. that That's on you. But no, that's accessibility. That's poor that you need to press a button. They used to have little... Um, rectangles didn't they yeah. so so yeah yeah i generally play with the um uh the bonnet cam uh i find that's the best the best way of getting the fullest view but yeah okay i'll play it on the in-car view and i'll see what it's like <laughs> see if i can get along with it yeah so there was that and i forgot also to mention that i'm using the racing wheel uh and it controls really brilliantly like I think it. I didn't play it much with the pad. I did have a quick go with the pad, but I think a lot of people, a lot of people who dislike the game, a lot, maybe only played it with the pad, which is not a criticism of them. That's a criticism of the game as well. But just to say that if you're playing it with a with a wheel, it controls really, really well. Like I've I've gone to do power slides when I've gone a bit got a bit better at the game, and I managed to do them by following the physics I thought would work, and they did. So that, to me, says good control. So, yeah, that, that's, uh, yeah. That's have, you played, have you played Dirt Rally with a wheel? That was the next thing I was going to say. So, so before you, before you yes. get on to that, I just want to point out, in my most professional moment in games media, um, I went down to the launch event for Dirt Rally in London, um, took Lucas with me um, as a treat. Um, that's how professional it was. I got to take my son with me. But anyway, um, took him <laughs> along. And um, I had interviewed one of the developers for Dirt Rally. And part of it was being able to go in a full um, simulation rig setup with the wheel and everything. Um, now, I'd got an early copy of the game, so I kind of knew what to expect. But they put you in this full rig. I held it. I'd done the accelerator. And I completely shit the bed. I just lost it because the false feedback and the full setup that they had, it was what I'd imagine it was like being in a rally car. <laughs> I got almost got whiplash, such was the false feedback on this wheel. Um, but yeah, it's um, that's that's <laughs> that was brutal. But yeah, go on, carry on. <laughs> no, it's it's similar. I I was quite impressed because um, I don't know the I didn't know the extent of how good my wheel was at that kind of stuff. So um, I've played quite a few racing games with the setup, and as you'd expect, it's sort of the, the feedback's different when you're on a, a little bit of a bumpy surface, and when you get hit and slack points when you've been knocked out of control, when you, you, your steering isn't uh, isn't gaining any traction and stuff like that. So yeah, all very impressive. But I played Dirt Rally 2.0 yesterday for the first time with my wheel, and oh my god, it, yeah, immediately you're like. The wheel fights you from the very, the very beginning. Uh, the the dirt track is set to tell you via feedback that you're driving on. 
basically like lava and you know spikes and stuff and it's throwing you all over the place and i was really impressed with that so it's brutally difficult um not aided by the fact that i've selected to play with full gear setup including clutch uh yeah but it's it's great it's so much it's really really hard it's stupidly hard because it's so realistic i'm clawing my way into being mediocre but I'm enjoying it, and it, it throws Dirt 5 into perspective by on technical level. So the graphics are a little bit more simplistic, but they work so much better. Uh, the entire course loads in about 20 seconds, and if you remember last week I was saying, in Dirt 5 it takes about a minute, and yeah. this the course is much shorter as well, so there's no real excuse for it. So it's just a superior game in every way, really. It's a totally different game, but it just shows that that they made some real missteps with Dirt Five, I think. Yeah, it's a um, Dirt Dirt Rally is um, the first one, especially. I've played more of that, and I have the second one. It's just an outstanding title, and I've not well, apart from that experience on on the on the simulator, I've not played it with a wheel. But older rally games, I've played with a wheel. You do feel it more than you do tarmac racing for sure, and that's when the false feedback really comes into its own. Um, but yeah, yeah it's it, it, dirt rarely shows what happens when you actually concentrate and hone your skill, uh, hone your, your not your skill, so you hone your knowledge onto just a single type of thing. Um, because the rally crossing dirt rally is good, but it doesn't feel as good as the actual rallying, uh, which is why I said last week about splitting it off into different games completely. But yeah, dirt rally is oh, it's outstanding. Um, before you go on to what else you've been playing, I've, I'm have i tempted to do a series on this as well, by the way, once I'm better I can sort out Patreon. But I've sort of been playing a video game, and it's a simulation game, and I'm going to butcher the name of it because I'll probably get this the wrong way round. But um, I've also been playing Monster Energy Supercross for the official video game. Now, I don't know if it's Monster Energy Supercross, the official video game for, or whether the 4 comes before that. But anyway, that, that, that matters not in anyone else's mind. It does in mine, but not in anyone else's mind. I had a day where I could see relatively okay, so I went, I'll give this a go, give it a play. And yeah, it's um, interesting. Um, and I'm not going to fault the game on this, but I couldn't judge where corners were properly because you've got like mud tracks against like a crowded background and built up mud, and I couldn't quite tell the difference on what was what. Not the game's fault. That's my fault for being blind, and I don't expect them to have to do. Well, I don't know what they could do in all fairness to make that partial sighted friendly. Yeah, it's one of those games where you just have to accept. Eh, well, it's your fault. Well, not your fault, but you know. And but I played it, I managed to get a bit, and yeah, it is a proper sim ass sim game. My assumption is I've never done uh motocross, um, so I've my only knowledge is like when I've caught it on Eurosport or Channel 5 or something like that. But it's not just a case of hit the accelerator and try and sort of like be the fastest, you've got to really think about how you're taking jumps. Um, some jumps like you can take straight on and you kind of hit the accelerator and go over and try and land the other side on the down slope and stuff like that. Others, you have to really sort of pull up a bit, hit them a bit slower because they're slightly smaller um, ramps, and then others, you have to do a thing called a scrub, which is you kind of hit the ramp. And then you kind of twist your bike sideways. And what it does, it means you get less airtime and hit the ground quicker, which means when you're on the ground, you're always travelling faster than when you're in the air, physics. Yeah. And it seems to really f- focus on that. Like, you've got to get it right. So you, you do it. And there's, I think there's slight rubber banding in the game, ever so slight. But if you screw up, you're done. So like in a Formula One game, if you screw up in a Formula One race, you're done. You essentially you're not you shouldn't be winning unless you've got obviously set up to do that yeah and it's the same here you you mess up you're pretty much done and you're fighting at the back of the pack which is really really fun and it, it does all that side and it's what's really interesting and i really like this mechanism it's got if you ride well and you do things fairly well you get to build up a rewind meter you don't just get the rewind you build up your rewind meter so that once you've used it and then maybe you screw up, you can then 
use a rewind to sort of go back a bit. So it kind of encourages competitive but considered racing. And I found that a really, really interesting mechanic, like building up a meter to give yourself the help to go, ah, screwed up, now I can go back. And we've seen kudos systems before. Um, I think uh, Need for Speed Shift done a thing where it rewarded you with extra XP if you were taking corners well and stuff like that. So we've seen stuff like that, but not in a... I can't remember one where it's a direct way of, right, you're doing well, so we can then have the... You can then get a bonus from it in the race. But yeah, no, it's all officially licensed, the game. I couldn't work out because it got like, it does that. It's a white background, so I struggled with any text on it, like on the menu. So I'm racing as Milestone, generic racer at the moment. Yeah. And it's, but yeah, overall, it's really difficult, really good. But yeah, no, Monster Energy Supercross for the official video game. Yeah, really good. If you want a difficult sim experience that's not racing cars, I do suggest giving it a go. Yeah, that sounds good. Anything else? Yeah, so although I've played it a lot, I'll only talk about it briefly, and that's Samurai Showdown on the Xbox, playing it on my Xbox One X, which I haven't turned on for about four months. So it was good to get a code to play on. And that's it. it the review for it is on our site. And yeah, it's it's a really good game if you like that kind of thing. You have to be into it. It's very measured. It's very considered. It's not a, a sort of just mash the buttons Tekken style game where you get better and you get you can use your proficiency the longer you go in. No, it starts off with a high proficiency level and then gets more technical from there. So it's a really technical fighter. Very, very appealing to look at. I mean, it's not cutting edge by any stretch of the imagination and Guilty Gear Strive makes it look like 10 years old but it's still pleasant enough but the main thing is it's got gritty gory impactful and crunchy gameplay and if you've got I would say people to play with or you're happy playing online particularly then you should definitely check it out um, so obviously it's a samurai combat game using weapons mostly katanas but there's some characters who use different things and it's great fun. Uh, it's very, as I say, technical, but very rewarding. And the title's spelt incorrectly, isn't it? That's right. So it was called Samurai Spirits in Japan, uh, but it, for some reason they changed it to Showdown, spelt S-H-O-D-O-W-N. So God knows. My part, We got offered the code for that. Uh, my partner's obviously been doing a lot of the admin work for me. Again, I keep saying, obviously, when people, why would people know that? Anyway, <laughs> my partner's been doing a lot of the admin work for me over the past few weeks. And she went, no, I'm not accepting that game. They spelt showdown wrong. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, no, you've got to. I know people might want that. She went, but they've spelt it wrong. And it's really infuriating. The only thing that I could think of is that it's like a, not a pun, but to re- make it reminiscent of Shogun, you know. That's, uh, yeah, that's what I assumed. Yeah. Yeah, but there you go. Um, Tenuous. Either that of it was either that of it was spelled incorrectly when they um, ported mm. it, and then they went, oh, "Do we really want to go back and edit all that code? Yeah, can I be honest? Do asked? we? Yeah, yeah. No, it, we, we we meant that. I've done that plenty of times. Where oh that yeah, I meant that. That's fine. <laughs> Donkey Kong. Yeah, that was entirely planned for. Yeah, exactly. So on the subject of Donkey Kong, unless you wanted any more talk about Samurai Showdown, right? No, 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 go on, go. Let's hit Donkey Kong. This on like Donkey Kong. Well, yeah, it is on like Donkey Kong. Along those lines, so uh, I've been playing uh, Super Mario Land 2. So, tenuous link, but, you know, Nintendo, yep. Mario's in it, blah, blah, blah. Um, Mr. Jump, Mr. Jumpman. That's yep. the one, Jumpman. He uh, appears in this Super Mario Land 2 game, which you may have heard of from, what was it, 29 years ago now. And it's amazingly weird to play because you know you and I talked about Super Mario Land the first one on Game Boy yes and we both said we liked it even though you know a lot of people didn't and stuff and yeah they were wrong but they were yeah. wrong yeah but that's a very basic looking game and you're like okay well you know that's what the Game Boy can do and then Super Mario Land 2 comes along and it, I turned it on and I was like this almost looks as good as Super Mario World but yeah we're monochrome and stuff I'm like, how the hell are they doing that? 
And then like I got my answer about sort of two screens later because as soon as there were more than three sprites on the screen, it slowed down to about five frames per second. So it looks gorgeous. It's even got like the little wobbly run animation that Mario has in the more powerful games. Yeah. And it has different run animation for when he's small version versus large version. Um, but yeah, no, the minute... If you're on the screen with a couple of sprites and then you fire a fireball, it just grinds to a halt. So the game is designed around looking beautiful but not having very much in the screen at one time. But they've taken that limitation and they've really run with it. So it's more about solving little platform puzzles per screen than it is about stringing together a chain of of good runs and a good flow. So it has its own sort of puzzly platform kind of aesthetic that uh, the other games don't just to get around the fact that obviously you know <laughs> that Miyamoto turned on the hairdryer when he saw Super Mario Land and went this isn't my series make it prettier and uh, Cockney Miyamoto I want to hear more Cockney Miyamoto it's gonna... you get my Mario right <laughs> oh, you s- trouble you slag yeah. yeah Cockney Miyamoto is going to be a thing now definitely yeah so uh, yeah so that was interesting <laughs> and um, yeah I I completed that uh, just this morning um, I, it's very funny in terms of balance so it's subtitle is six golden coins you've got to complete six areas get these coins and that opens up uh, this Wario castle and the castle is about as big and difficult oh it's about as big as all the other six levels combined yeah. and it's incredibly hard it's much harder than the regular game it's got lots of it's got no checkpoints so you have to do the entire thing in one and really old school style and it's got um, loads of like one-hit kill enemies and pits and stuff like that. Really frustrating and, and really annoyingly designed. In contrast to the rest of the game, which is much more traditional and much more simple. So it's a really strange game, but I really enjoyed it. It was, it was really good fun. So did you ever play that? Did you ever play the sequel? I have, yes. Now, I've often told you and told everyone who listen that I'm FPS blind. I really don't notice FPS drops in games. Um, but that I did. <laughs> it, was, it was like playing a slideshow at, at yeah. points. Um, but fair play to Nintendo. This is something they've always been able to do. They've managed to take what is essentially a bad game and somehow make it work um, by going, well, this one's like crap. So let's slow it down a bit and make it that it's actually these individual elements. Yeah. And yeah, I completed it um, wow. on the Game Boy. Yeah, I don't complete many games, but there was just something about it. And I think it was because it was slowed down. My brain was able to compute stuff in a way that I can't on like fast, more fast-paced stuff. I struggled with Super Mario Land, ended up completing it. But it was like I had to go again and again and again. But I didn't need to with Super Mario Land too. Um, but yeah, I, I hated it but enjoyed it at the same time. It's a very odd one and it's really worth playing just for how strange it is, mm. I'd say. Yeah. yeah. Um, I loved the Game Boy. It was a hell of a machine. Um, yeah. And I'd like to see more. So it actually brings me to a quick point. My final thing I'm going to say on games this week. Um, I'd like to see more games come out that could have been made back in those days. So I'd love to see some like people trying to work within. I think I've talked about it as well. People working within the limits of what a Game Boy was, for example, but using modern power to make it work in the vision they probably saw it back in those days so i'd love to see you know a new super mario land complete monochrome um the graphics toned down but with all the modern quality of life aspects you get i'd, I'd love to see that and on that dot mu and i can't remember who the developers are going to be for this are doing a faithful sequel to the teenage mutant ninja turtles arcade game and I can't wait for that. Yeah, I saw that news the other day. I was really impressed. It was a great team to be doing it. Streets of Rage 4 is one of my favourite beat-em-ups of, well, of all time already, I think. Mm. So, yeah. I know what you mean about doing things to fit within the original scope. I mean, there's been a few recently that are like that. Um, I can't remember the name of it now, and I played it for review. <laughs> but there's that one that's a little bit like Smash TV crossed with Aliens. Um and oh yeah, 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 yeah! I can't remember the name. Yeah, came out on the Neo Geo and the Mega Drive, but most impressive that it could be done on a Mega Drive. You know, uh, quite, yeah. yeah, quite staggering, really. I mean, obviously, 
the amount of RAM that you're allowed in the cartridge isn't isn't a barrier anymore, even though there's only so much that, you, that the Mega Drive can address, so you can't just go completely bananas. But um, that's within the Mega Drive's limits because it runs on original hardware. And uh, what was that? What was that platformer called? Something tail uh, with a fox. Brief interjection from me, future Stu. The game I was trying to think of was Tanglewood uh, on the Mega Drive. Yeah, well, that came out recently anyway. So, yeah, there's, there's people doing that for the original hardware. Don't seem to be doing it much for Nintendo, probably because of the, the fact they're so litigious. Yeah. I don't even want, a re- like, if it runs on original hardware, I just want it to go with that scope. Go, so, right, if we was making a Mega Drive game or a Game Boy game, what would it be? Right, but let, now let's make this work on a Switch, a, Nintendo, uh, a, a, uh, a PlayStation, an Xbox, a PC. But let's keep that original scope as to what the limitations were and then how far can we push that with modern quality of life? So I don't want it that, oh, it's got to be able to run on a Game Boy or it's got to be able to run on a Mega Drive. I just want them to sort of like to see what how creative they can get with that extra power. Loop Hero, I think, is... a uh, I've heard a lot of people talk about Loop Hero of late and basically talking about how it pretty much looks like an old Amiga game and plays almost like an old Amiga game. That sort of thing, where it's not just retro graphics for the sake of retro graphics, but the gameplay kind of feels like it would fit in that era perfectly as well. Yeah, I mean, there's quite there's a few like that as well. I mean, again, for the site I did, uh, I think I reviewed it for the site, Panzer Paladin, um, yes. which is very much in the NES style. I don't think, you know, there's no way on earth it'd run on an original NES. But it's one of those, if there was a fictional universe where the the next iteration of the NES was basically the same, but with a lot more RAM and a lot more colours, then that's the kind of game that could get made on it. So Some some would argue gaming might have been better if it had gone like that, <laughs> rather than going 3D and stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, they would be wrong, but <laughs> yes, games are wonderful. I, you know, you know, it's. I'm a big indie fan, but you need your Death Strandings and your Forzas and your Spider Mans to help push certain other barriers as well. Uh, it, it's all it's all needed to make great games. Exactly, and, and flipping that, flipping that around, it's also why you should never never leave behind a genre, because yeah, I like pushing stuff to the limits i like getting all the latest kit and i you know i'm a big champion of vr and i'll try anything and give it a lot of headspace before i toss it aside but at the same time i want to play the previous experiences so i'm currently in the middle of getting hold of some light guns to play some light gun games even though i can play light gun style games in futuristic vr i still want to use the real hardware because it's just has a different feel so you should never just cast stuff aside i loved the gun con yes oh and uh, point blank playing that oh exactly Exactly. in vr you and i love vr shooting games don't get me wrong they're brilliant but you are within that world and then pointing so that's you know like that's a very video gamey thing whereas when you're using a light gun, it's completely different. It's that thing of we're trying to get halfway between between a real thing like a driving game, like sitting in a outrun, you know, cockpit style thing, and yeah. uh, a video game halfway between the two, uh, and it has this weird mashup that just works. So yeah, brilliant. So I'm going to put this out to our listeners. Email in podcast at mentalhealthgaming.com. I want to know if a Nintendo, a Sony, or a Microsoft released a a shooty like an actual physical gun like that you can use, like in the style of a gun con or the Nintendo light gun, and released a duck hunt, a point blank or something like that, that would work on modern TVs or monitors and things like that, dedicated. Not talking about like a Wiimote where it can be changed up or a Joy-Con where you can kind of use it like that. An actual dedicated light gun made a pr- proper game for it. Would you buy it? I want to know that from, from our listeners. That would be great to know. Yeah, Because be I'm telling you now, with modern technology, if they release the Super Scope again with games that are dealt for it, knowing what they know about games now, I'd be all over that. All they need is the killer app. 
right? So the Tetris is what sold the Game Boy. We know that. It wasn't the Game Boy that sold the Game Boy. It's Tetris that sold the Game Boy. It's Sonic that sold the Mega Drive. It's getting that killer app. You know, Sony were hit perfectly with discs and stuff like that and the extra stuff that could do. If someone was to come out, if Nintendo were to come out with a light gun and then brought out an updated duck hunt with it as a packing, that would sell Gunbusters. Gunbusters, I meant Gambusters, but that was a brilliant slip of the tongue. <laughs> so, you know, that would sell absolute Gambusters, I reckon. Yeah. Because it's Nintendo. That's all you need. Nintendo, duck hunt. Yep, yeah, we're on that. Yes, I think you're right. I think it would need the IP, and I think it would have to be Duck Hunt. Yeah. I don't think anything else would cut it. I think anyone but us have forgotten Time Crisis, and forgotten Virtual Cop, even forgotten House of the Dead. But I think Duck Hunt sticks in people's minds, and that would be the one to go with. Yeah, and then once you've got something like that, that's when you then can reintroduce the others. Yeah. And then Sony can come out, or Microsoft, either one of them, get Namco to fund it, make a new point blank, bring out a new gun con and life's good yeah and then imagine imagine the arguments on stuff like jeremy vine when oh no the children's have got guns oh there come all the murderers again oh that actually might be but i hadn't even thought of that you know but that might be part of it it's worth it just for that isn't it yeah it's worth it just for the arguments that people will have yeah anyway uh, yeah so moving on um, if you do want to email us, the email address is podcast at mentalhealthgaming.com. That's podcast at mentalhealthgaming.com. If you want to talk about any of the games we talk about, if you want to get us to try new games that you've, you like, any feedback whatsoever, or you want to join in discussion when we talk about stuff in the second half of the show, maybe do we go on too long? Do, does Stu talk way too much? Anything like that. If you want to come through and tell us it, use the email address podcast at mentalhealthgaming.com and get involved. Right, now, Stu, can I get a word in? No. Okay. So, moving on, on to a serious subject. And I just want to say before we go, those who listen regularly know this, those who might be new to it, I forget things. I forget some of the most obvious things. So if I get a name wrong or I get a date wrong or something like that, it is not me being insulting to the people or the subject. It is just my brain trying to filter that information. So just in case we do go down that road. Um, but there's been events that have been happening, well, going back many years, but recently that brought everything to a head. Um, and that is the murder of Sarah Everard. Have I got that name right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. That was, And the movement that is that is starting, that is happening many years too late. Um, and that is the way women are seen in, pub, uh, seen in public, the way they are treated. And the whole idea that women are still second-class citizens in a way and it scares me and it really it really worries me i'm not a woman i don't have to worry about what time of night i go out don't get me wrong i'll be walking down a street uh, a quiet street in the dark and i might see a, ga- a gang of people together it doesn't matter what age they are and i'll be like oh, i'm gonna cross the road just in case um and that's on the odd occasion and that's mainly because i'm, I'm a bit of a scaredy anyway i don't like confrontation and I can't imagine what that must be like every time you leave your front door that you have got to be prepared to potentially defend yourself. And I hate this phrase, but as a father of a daughter now, I am terrified for her when she hits 13, 14, 15, whatever, and she starts going out. That she needs to have protection with her possibly at all times she needs to learn self-defense she needs to learn the whole like pretending to be on the phone or actually being on the phone just in case i don't want her to have to go through that and it seems to be getting worse not better i would have thought personally after the me too movement that we would have started to see some change then but i think 
unfortunately what happened with covid and the other issues such as the way the american government was the way sort of like brexit was taken over and stuff like that i don't think that movement gathered um momentum like it should have but the 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 murder of Sarah Everard, um, her becoming almost the, the the name and face of of this as a movement, is sad because you know I think someone said there was 118 women murdered in the past year or this year already. I can't remember which which it was, and none of those have got a name that is as publicly known, and that is a really sad indictment of the way it's almost acceptable for women to be attacked, raped murdered no one's going oh it's okay and everyone kind of goes well yeah it does happen it's unfortunate but it happens women should dress in a certain way or they shouldn't be um, allow themselves to be a target or walk in pairs and all things like that and for me what does that do for a woman's mental health that they can't casually walk down to the shops they can't walk you know, to a friend's house. They can't go to work without someone either leering at them, making them feel uncomfortable uh, in a best-case scenario. Um, And it got me feeling guilty as well because I'm not going to lie. Over the years, I've walked down the road, seen a, a woman walking down the road and looked at them and just gone, oh, yeah, oh, I like that. Now, I'm not one... Again, I, I... the idea of following someone and attacking them or, you know, um, forcing myself upon them, that doesn't cross my mind. But I do walk down the road and I'll look at someone and go, oh, yeah, 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 okay. And that's, uh, but that, that's just me doing that. But if you've got, you know someone's doing it or you feel someone's doing it every single day of your life, it's just horrible. And I feel sort of like, I don't want to make this about me, but my, like the guilt I feel as a man it's making me uncomfortable at the moment. And this is, oh, I don't want to hear about it. It's making me uncomfortable. I'm glad it's making me uncomfortable because the discussion has got to be had now. What do we do to stop women feeling like this? And I don't want to hear, I, I feel like I'm aiming this at you, Sean. It's not, I, I know, it's not a question I'm aiming at you. It's more of a generic question. I, but I don't want to hear from people that women should walk in pairs or they should, you know, maybe don't go out as late as night because that's the biggest bullshit argument that i've ever heard um i would rather go well i'll tell you what let's make all men wear a bell so women know they're there that makes more sense or let's give men a curfew rather than telling women one of the one of the politicians and i can't remember her name i'm i'm really sorry she suggested that as sarcastically as you like she said instead of telling women this give men a curfew of 6 p.m um all men a curfew of 6 p.m let's let's try and get this through parliament semi-jokingly but obviously to make a point of how ridiculous it is to tell women to have to sort of like have a curfew a self-imposed curfew and she got so much abuse for it so much abuse for suggesting it men going it's ridiculous you can't expect men to have a curfew because women are getting attacked but they say people are going but women should be careful and maybe not go out and it's it's every time you think we are moving forward as a society and equal rights are starting to get there something like this happens and just you just realize how bad it still is yes it's such a gigantic subject as well it's really hard to wrap your hands around it mm-hmm. uh but obviously in typical fashion i'll certainly try and give it a go um <laughs> i think just tackling the whole how do we change things approach so it's a massive question I think you have to accept first off, in my personal opinion, that society is very, very wrong and has been since God knows how long, where, you know, women are seen as objects uh, because we're part of a patriarchal society. And just to define what I think that means, it means that men are the most important and women are, are secondary and they can only have power or influence at the behest of men so they don't have their own autonomy to be powerful and they have to be allowed so hence why we have like the concept of the glass ceiling and stuff like that um and even when sort of you know the last company i worked for was very pro hiring women and they'd got to a stage where 50 percent of management was female but 
there'd never been a female CEO and there'd never been a I think that the proportion of women in vice president roles was only about like two percent or something so it's kind of there's an echelon there's a tier there's a level that women are just not allowed to go and that shows that it's still part of you can only go as far as we let you so I think to fundamentally alter that and to have it so that women have full parity and equality I think like with everything you'd have to start putting things into law that would lead towards that so you'd have to not just have the odd piece of affirmative action and the odd piece of, of rights legislation but you'd have to have solid strong laws that prevented certain behaviors and how you get that and how you get to that place where the current situation we're in or benefits men so much is it's just i have no idea how you get there i i really don't i wish i did but i really don't but i think to start with you can let's go to primary schools start from there don't differentiate between boys and girls stop saying boys and girls act and behave differently stop separating them so much stop giving certain toys to one gender and not the other uh, and just start breaking it down right there that's what we can start as a society yeah i i completely agree and it's got to start start from that base level um the problem i think we get is so many people go reactionary go this this bad things happen. This woman's been killed or raped, and and we've got to do something about this now. And I get that reaction. I do get that reaction, but that's not how we fix it. Instead of going, what are we going to do about this now? We've got to look about like what can we start to do about this now? Where can we do it? There's no point going. Oh, you know, we've worked out that these guys are growing up to be rapists. So what we do? We've got to tag all like these these type of men. Once they've got a conviction, they get tagged or whatever. Uh, no, because that's not rooting out the that's not sorting out the root of the problem that's dealing with it when it gets to a certain place which is why the prisons are full and and stuff like that and why so much funding is needed for the police and etc etc um whereas you're right if you turn around and go listen at school we do not do gender identity not in the um the headline fact of who what you know uh, next thing there'll be trees or whatever no we just don't do gender identity like i said instead of making pink toys for girls and dolls for girls and boys get to play with robots or cars and stuff like that let's stop telling people that pink is for girls blue is for boys let's stop telling people that dolls are for girls and robots are for boys also i sound like i really come from the 80s that's how i imagine that's what boys play with is robots by the way <laughs> yeah. um but and you know let's look at let's actually put a ban i've said this before let's put a ban on clothing that adds stereotypes let's stop a ban that says like boys clothes wear um um, I'm going to grow up to be a superstar as on a boys or, or whatever. And the girls is when I grow up, I want to be a pretty princess. Let's let's stop those clothes being aimed at children from a young age. It's stupid. It shouldn't happen. Girls can grow up to be more than pretty. Boys don't have to grow up to be superheroes or superstars. If a boy wants to grow up to be pretty, a boy can grow up to be pretty. If a girl wants to be a superhero, they can be a superhero. Um, the same as I'd love to see us get rid of the feminization of words. So instead of a heroine, just use hero for men yes. and women. Um, instead of doing it, just get rid of the feminization of words. Or even mix it. Instead of going, right, let's get rid of the feminization of words, let's let's mix it up a bit. What are feminized words? So instead, like I'll use hero and heroin as an example. Obviously, there's thousands more examples. But we go, right, okay, for hero and heroin, we key hero. For host or hostess for example, we keep the word hostess. So we, we, we mix it up a bit. But let's get that into language from the start, that we have a singular for describing somebody. It hasn't got to be feminine or masculine in any way, shape or form. Yeah. Um, now, what's a really interesting book, and I've only read part of it, because I've got a free sample on, I think, Amazon um, to try, but I do want to read it, is Robert Webb. Um, I think the book's called How to Be a Boy. And he talks about him growing up and how he was forced as a young child to be like, this is what boys like. This is what boys do. And he never felt comfortable with that. 
and how he now wants to bring his kids up without that gender identity. And he said, I think within the book, he talks about how it's not about going, oh, you know, we haven't decided on their gender or anything like that. I don't think he goes down that route. But in terms of what job do you want to do? Does it matter if you're a girl or boy? Um, and, you know, we, we, we look at only certain people, you know, women will be an air hostess um, or a gay man. That, that is generally your stereotypes. And that's because it's always seen as a feminine job. So but let's stop that being a feminine job. Because I think it has to go the other way too. Instead of going secretaries or receptionists, oh, that's the sort of job a woman does. No, let's, let's stop that. Let's stop only hiring women and pretty faces to be on the reception desk. Let's start hiring men to do that job and then give the woman we would give that job let's put her somewhere else within the company where it's maybe more masculine because i think that's when it comes to equality and, and feminism uh, feminism building and getting the, the the recognition it deserves it's not just about going take the women and put those in those positions because i think that's what men see going oh women are coming for our jobs or what are we going to do as men well if you've got more women going for more jobs that were considered for men then it opens up those jobs that were particularly for women for men. And it, but, but you can start to root out that problem early on. And that will take, what, 30, 40, 50 years possibly. But at least we're dealing with it there rather than going, oh, women are still being raped. What are we going to do? Yes. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, bringing it back to Sarah Everard directly, um, that also shows an, another problem with tackling it, which is that it's, again, based on looks. And at this point, I sort of bring in the idea of in, intersectionality. So it, it's also people who are disproportionately affected by crime in our society tend to be, you know, women and people of colour. Uh, and there's there's very much an intersectionality here around all of this. So not only, like, of the people who are, the women who were murdered this year like the, the statistics that you said was 180 or whatever 118 per year yeah how many of those will have been black women how many of them will have been disadvantaged how many of their stories will have been erased because it's not what the public want to hear about and i'm not counting myself in this because i i want in inverted commas to hear all these stories i i want them to be so prevalent that people can't ignore them but the reason Sarah Everard's come to the fore is because two reasons. One, it's salacious because a police officer did it. So it's exciting. Uh, you know, again, I'm not saying this is how I feel about it, but you know, this is how the public sees things. You know, it's an exciting, interesting story. Um, it stands above the rest because it's it's got, you know, it's got an angle, you know? Yes. Uh, it's the sort of thing that you see on serial killer podcasts and stuff like that but also it's because she was white she had blonde hair she was pretty you know nobody wants to hear this but that's this is why and she was you know she had uh she had money and she's in all the kind of groupings that people like to go oh but we want to coddle and protect that particular type of woman yeah. and there and she's a prize therefore if that prize is destroyed then that's one of the worst things that can happen in society because we want to have pretty white blonde haired women at our disposal do you get what i mean 100 percent. and to be honest there's something very i can't think of another term but there's something very hitlerish about the way we hold certain women up to a pedestal that that's the ideal woman if that makes sense yeah yeah, and it's it's like they must be protected at all costs. Um, Lorraine has made comment in the past when we was talking about all this, and I said that uh, it's terrible that women have to sort of like fear for that. Now, Lo, she's got dark hair. She's and she says like she'll joke and go, oh, I haven't got to worry about anything. But then therein lies the problem. That's how women see themselves. If they don't fit into that category. I think they joke to tell themselves this, that they're not in as much danger because they're not the ideal woman. But at the same time, um, when you see like the, the nameless victims, they are the ones we don't hear about. And they're the ones who I think are more at risk. You know, you might hear, like, because you might hear sort of like 80-year-old Dorothy, whatever, 
has been mugged and raped and killed. And everyone goes, oh my God, how can someone do it to a poor old dear and stuff like that? It just shows that no one is safe. When people are doing it, you know, the other extreme case, two babies. That's horrible. And that get that will get, well, you'd assume that would get, um, would get sort of like media attention. But shockingly, it really doesn't at the same time. Yeah. I bet it's the glorification of it. I think that's... If someone turned around tomorrow and said, we are banning murder porn programmes, then I would go, yep, fine, do it. Because the glorification of the perpetrator that goes way back to Jack the Ripper days, you know, even more modern times, like, you know, uh, Charles Manson um, and uh, Ted Bundy, you know, Rose and Fred West and things like that, then, yeah, that that uh, it's always been there, which gives those who are, might be thinking about it, go, well, I can get infamy. I can get famous from this. And it gives them a reason to maybe want to act on these urges. And if we can cut that off as well, that can do something about it. And stop focusing on... I hate saying this. I really hate saying it like this because I don't want it to sound like I'm saying there's only certain types of of, of people. I don't find that anyone can be attractive in their way or, or whatever. But when we only focus on pretty young blonde women on the whole, it's it's just not identifying a problem at all because it's giving people one, it gives people a target, and two, it makes it. it it just makes it seem like less of a problem than it actually is. And that means there can't be a fix to it because people go, well, it's only happening to a few types of people. And it's just not, it's, that's just not going to do anything. Yeah, I agree. You have to start seeing things more from the, the victim point of view. And like you say, not glorifying the attacker and not framing it in terms of statistics. Going back to what you said about the Jack the Ripper victims. So that, yeah, you're entirely right. And, <clears throat> my wife was reading a book or reading about a book recently that reframes the the story of the ripper victim so it talks about it from the women's perspective mm. and about their lives and about actually how few of them were actually prostitutes and they were you know ordinary women not that there's anything wrong with the sex work side of things just that you know it's just the way that it got sensationalized uh, and also i've seen things myself about you know the yorkshire ripper where the the attacks and the investigation was stymied because the police force cared less because it was seen to only be prostitutes who were being attacked. Mm. And so not only did they uh, completely ignore the, the, the proper the, the victims in terms of giving them the protection that they needed because they saw them as prostitutes and therefore a lower class, but also when the Ripper's victims were not prostitutes they were classed as different attacks and different murders because it was like, oh, he only attacks prostitutes. So, so it's, no, he just attacked yeah. women, just vulnerable women who were on their own. Um, and some of them just happened to be prostitutes because that's more likely to be the case late at night. Uh, so, yeah, it needs reframing. It needs to, to be no othering. The importance of each death needs to be emphasised. De-emphasise the killer themselves because it glamorises them. I agree with all those things. I think if you, if we had that and we had the non-enforced gender roles at, at uh, school age, and giving, you know, giving girls as much autonomy as boys right from primary school level. I think that's a good start. Yeah, 100%. And just to go back on a, a point you make with like Jack the Ripper, and I mentioned Ted Bundy, and I'll bring in Myra Hindley and Char- I'll say Charlene Warnos. It wasn't Charlene, but um, the American killer. I- Eileen, Eileen Warnos. Warnos. Yes, yeah, sorry, that was it. Um, if you look at the way Jack the Ripper's treated, he's almost like a heroic figure. There's a myth of a mythos about yeah. him. Um, now, it was obviously because he wasn't cool, etc., etc. But there's a mythos about him. Ted Bundy. You hear about people who love Ted Bundy, and he's again he's treated with a certain degree of respect. Yet when you talk about Myra Hindley and Eileen Warnos, they're evil. Oh, they're evil. Now that again, I think, becomes because they're women. I think we we look at women who do these things. And they're treated as worse because they are women. Yeah. Whereas a Ted Bundy, because he was a good-looking chap, 
and you know a lot of serial killers that you see they find out are quite endearing you know they're quite sociable and you know you actually quite like them their personalities work with stuff like that and we we, we focus on that guy like ted bundy oh he's charismatic guy him oh yeah we'll make films about him with like a popular actor that makes him look good so they used i think there was a ted bundy film recently and they used zach efron i think played the part that's right yeah yeah um, so they used a good looking guy and they made him as good looking as possible yet when they done the movie called Monster on Eileen Warnos they used Charlize Theron which was fine but she's a good actress but the big focus on that was oh my god look at the makeup work they've done on Charlize Theron to make her look ugly and this and this and this and it's like hang on why? why is that the focus on it? because you want Eileen Warnos to look evil you want her to look like she's the worst of the worst Whereas Ted Bundy in a film, you're dressing him up to have the charisma, using a school, a child star, a teenage star who is a sex symbol as that part and still making him look good. And I think therein lies the problem. It's again, the glorification of men who do these things to the vilification of women who do these things. And I've said, all right, we had a discussion last night about Edith. Like she's four at the moment. And when she's 13, 14, 15, 16, and she starts going out i said look i'm not going to be one of these dads that has to go you know i don't want you going with boys or whatever or girls whoever you choose you know or when she brings a boy or, or anyone home and i'm going oh you're not for my daughter you're not gonna it's her body she does what she wants with it as long as she's as long as she's happy careful and stuff like that i have no control over what she does um, and i don't I, that's how i feel but i will be saying to her at the moment I trust you. You can do what you want. Um, please, please, please allow us on whatever technology it is in the future, whether it's a phone or a wristband or an implant, whatever, please let us have a tracker on it because I fear that if you go out, you could get attacked. You could be taken. You could be kidnapped, murdered, whatever. I at least want to know what your last known location was with being able to check a phone so that we've got that time to be able to go and save you. If need be, you can be saved. I don't want to be thinking that about my daughter. I don't want to be thinking that about my son. But I know my son's not going to be in as much danger. Sure, he might get mugged. And if he's very, very unlucky, he might be the victim of rape. But that is such a small percentage of a chance of that happening that I haven't got to worry about that side of it as much. My daughter, as soon as she's able to play out on her own, I've got to worry that she's her target. And... Yeah, it's. I, I think you're 100% right. We start this from day one of a child being born. We have to stop gender stereotyping from day one. Yeah, I, I think that's the single bit. I mean, I could well be wrong. I, I would love people to tell me where I'm wrong and also have better ideas because, I, I, you know, I feel very helpless with all this. Like you said, you know, I don't want to be part of the problem, but we need a solution and... I'm not the right person to come up with that solution. But I do tend to think that, yeah, that would be a great a great thing to happen. Just get rid of that stereotyping. And that would also help with the vulnerability of LGBTQ plus people as well. Yeah. You know, it, I don't want to forget. I'm not ignoring them or erasing them in this discussion. No. It's just that we're very specifically talking about Sarah Everard and, and where that, you know, where that's come from and where it's leading. But I don't want to erase of of you know people who have different sexualities as well because they are very vulnerable mm. they're part of this intersectionality where you know if you're not a hetero white male you're you're considered as a lower class and therefore you're much more vulnerable yeah. so yeah i think at least get that started at primary level get people on an equal footing when they're little kids and they they feel like the other kids around them are all of the same level and take it from there and then cleverer more intelligent and more political people than me can make some proper inroads yeah. uh, the, the last the last point i really want to make and probably from a mental health point of view um and you can tell me if you feel the same like when when mel's out on her own or anything like that but whenever lorraine goes out to work does the shopping on her own or even just is out i get a sense of relief when she comes through that door not a lot oh my god you're back but just a, a sense of you made it home safe good kind of thing and i'm always a little bit if she's 
10 minutes late from what she said she'll be home going part of me's going not like absolute sitting in a corner panicking but going i hope everything's okay and going should i check on her but i don't want to check on her because i don't want to seem like i own her because i i, I really don't I, especially as i'm not the dominant one in the relationship anyway but going should i check on her if something you know, i'm sitting there going if something has happened i haven't checked on her is that my fault you know and so, it's not sort of like constant like forefront thoughts but they're at the back of your head and then when she comes through the door there's that slight moment of relief do you get that with like like when Mel goes out on her own or maybe not at the moment because not many people are going out on their own but that kind of when she does yeah I, I certainly did in the past yes uh I think now especially post covid when when things change so you know late in the year when going out is more normalized I don't think I would like her going out on her own at all. Mm. I, I, I'm, I can see a real. I, I hope this doesn't happen, but I can see a real spike in attacks yeah. um, because the patterns of when people are going to be out in bulk and then completely alone are going to change. Uh, I think the way that people can, the way that masks are normalised, changes things. I just <clears throat> I just feel like it's going to be very, very different. And it's going to be a bit of a wild west until things change and adapt. Um, so, to answer your question, yes, I always was. My wife's been attacked twice in the street in her life. Once when we were together, when she was coming back alone from the pub, for, from seeing friends. Um and once on the canal uh, before we knew each other in that situation she got out a pair of scissors and stabbed him which I thought was brilliant but yeah, no, she was like wrestled to the floor she got scissors out of a bag tried stabbing him and he ran off um, but yeah, so I've always been always been concerned in that level and I think I I always will be. Yeah, but then you've also got that. How hypocritical do you feel that you have to say to um, your partner going, look, if you're going to be late, check in because I worry about you. Because that's going against yeah. everything we've almost just said in a way. And it's like, you to kind of go, I can't. It's like trying to unthink years and years of programming. But I'm going, I'm doing it because I'm worried about it. I don't want to have to say to you, check in or, or, you know, be okay and stuff like that. But you've kind of got to at the same time. Which is why it's not an immediate fix. And people have got to stop talking about this like it's an immediate fix. That's the first thing. Let's let's talk about this. What can we do moving forward? And also, don't go overly abusive when, you know, uh, of vigils when you're attacking women for paying their respects um, and going overboard with that. Oh, apparently, if you're a woman or yeah. black, it's okay to get violent. But you have for mainly white men walking down the street saying I don't want to wear a mask that's okay yeah yeah exactly you know thinking about your partner your female partner as being more vulnerable than you and, and worrying about her and then trying to be more protective sounds as though you're being just as bad as the as the people who cause the situation and because you're a white male you're causing the situation yourself anyway to a degree yeah. but at the same time you're part of a society that has created that situation so you have to react to it you know it, although it, you, you shouldn't have to and women shouldn't have to avoid certain situations the unfortunate thing about it is that they they do yeah uh, and we need to change that but until they change we've still got to worry about it we, we as both men and women have to worry about it so yeah there's a long way to go and it's it's just awful it just sort of shows up how bad of a society we live in and I don't want to extend the conversation to be all about how bad the UK is but it's pretty damn terrible Uh, I I really have trouble with the way that the police operate and it's been exemplified by you know it's Preeti Patel you know Preeti's paramilitary basically the police are just a paramilitary force to her especially the Metropolitan Police and the treatment of the women's gathering was disgusting and disgraceful and you know the crackdown and the the legislation over taking down statues is crazy big big brother territory so i want things to get better so much but they actually seem at the moment to be going in a worse direction save the statues but not the women yes exactly or or the blacks or the asians or yeah uh, exactly yeah 
So we just have to be vigilant and we have to be tough and we have to vote for people who want to change it. That's yeah. all we can do. Yeah, 100%, 100%, 100%. So I know this one went long. Um, I hope you appreciate sort of like it's not a subject we can just sort of like dance around and make the usual sort of like joking comments that we will do with some of the mental health discussion. But it is something important. It's something that's been weighed on our minds uh, since since the attack happened um, and it's brought it all to the forefront. There are resources out there um, for anyone who feels unsafe or anything like that. I know the police aren't the most trustworthy at the moment, but if you ever do feel unsafe, do just don't take the risk, call 999. Just get on the phone, tell them you feel unsafe because you can't take the risk. I don't want to be one that says, oh, it's just one bad egg, you know, everyone else is fine because it is a risk, but get on the phone. Um, at least make people know you're aware. And to be honest, if you all, if, if every woman who feels unsafe called 999 and started flooding 999 saying, I feel unsafe, I'm being followed, they'd soon do something about it because of the amount of calls they would get. But yeah, mm. but use the resources that are out there. Um, and obviously, Stuart will say at the end, as part of your sign-off, stay safe. More than ever, we, we 100% mean that. Please do stay safe. Um, if you have got any comments for this, as I said, I'm, I'm plugging it a bit podcast at mentalhealthgaming.com i'm sure we've missed some bits in this discussion i'm, I'm sure we've possibly got a couple of bits wrong um and we'd love your your input your thoughts on this as well uh, but yeah that that's it from me no, no funny sign offs or anything from me this time over to you shoot yeah just very briefly yeah so follow us in all the usual places and feedback at podcast at mentalhealthgaming.com if you have anything at all to say any comments positive negative or (laughs) neutral will be totally accepted and uh, welcomed apart from that just stay safe stay sane and take care